Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors. Here at Fertility Warriors HQ, we believe in three things, grace, grit, and gratitude. We don't believe you have to be perfect to fall pregnant, but we do believe that you need to place yourself and your well-being at the top of your priority list. I'm your host, Robin Birkin. For some people, trying to conceive is a cakewalk. I was not one of those people. My journey was years in the making and included IUIs, IVF and a miscarriage, as well as many, many tears before we fell pregnant with our first child. Now I'm the author of the book, Screw Infertility, and the founder of a 12-week mind-body fertility program, the Fertility Warrior Intensive. I'm here to help you not only navigate these waters, but to help you feel like a badass in the process. My superpower? Helping Taipei women find calm, confidence, and happiness in their journey. I'm a little woo-woo, a lot straight shooter, and I swear like a sailor. Sorry, mom. I've never turned down a bowl of mashed potato, and if you like salt and pepper, mm, I think we'll get along just fine. So hit that subscribe button and tune in for tips, advice, and real talk every week. I promise you, I'm not daggy. Okay, maybe a lot daggy, but subscribe anyway. Enough small talk, let's do this thing. Hi, and welcome everyone to the Fertility Warriors. I'm beyond excited today to welcome Melissa from Live Child Free to the podcast. And you can find Melissa literally at Live Child Free and also on the Live Child Free podcast, which I highly encourage you to do. We'll be getting Melissa to chat a little bit more about her story and about you know what she has going on and why she does what she does. But one of the most popular blog posts that I have at robinburken.com is a post that says, is it time to quit fertility treatments? And I know that this is one of the biggest fears that people have. I was looking at Melissa's blog and it talked, it was a blog post called Do You Ever Get Over Infertility? And it talked about this deep fear and many fears that we have around living child-free. Will I ever find my purpose? Will I know who I am anymore? Will I ever stop feeling so sad and heartbroken? Will I feel traumatized forever? And I just think it's so important that we normalize the conversation around a child-free life and we also normalize that not everyone gets pregnant and goes on to have a baby. If you are listening to this podcast, I dare say that getting pregnant has not been a walk in the park. Life does not always follow a path. And that is why I am so happy to be sharing a different story today on the podcast with Melissa. Thank you so much for joining us today and coming on to share your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here and it's something that that I feel honored to do and I feel like is also really important for people going through infertility to hear from those of us who are childless. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have gone from infertility limbo land to living a child-free life with your husband, Eric. Are you able to tell us a little bit about your fertility journey? Sure. So it's a really long story, but <laughs> I'll try to give you the, the shorter version but we tr started trying, I guess it was, let's see, 10 years ago. And 
overall, it ended up being six years of mm-hmm. the, the time span of us trying to conceive. And when it started, I was 34 and I went about six months or so before going in to see an RE and starting testing and that type of thing. And they couldn't find any issues. So then my husband went in, he did, you know, the whole thing, getting his sperm analysis, and there ended up being an issue there. So with that, we sort of were thrown into this world of doctors telling us that you have no choice but to do IVF with ICSI. It was like, it was like, don't even bother with IUI or anything else. Like this is your, this is your only chance. So that just kind of, kind of threw us into that mm-hmm. world and it was a shock and it was a heartbreak. Um, it's like zero to hero at that point. Yeah. It was just, you know, unbelievable. And I was so overcome with emotion and fear. It was devastating. Mm-hmm. And part of that, that I have to throw in there for us is that when my husband, before he met me in a previous relationship, he did have a daughter. Right. And his daughter was born with very severe special needs and she passed away at the age of about three and a half. Wow. That's hard. And yes. So he had been through quite a bit of trauma from his experience as a father. And so years later, when we're going through this, I thought, you know, when I got that news, I thought, oh my God, like there's no way Eric's going to be okay doing these huge, you know, IVF is like the big leagues, <laughs> you know, it's like, I thought there's no way he's going to go for this. Like he already had fears around mm. pregnancy, of course, from the trauma he'd been through. So I thought doing something like that is just, he's not going to go for that. And and so I just, my world was like kind of crashing down on me because this was mm-hmm. such a huge dream of mine since I was very young to be a mother. So we, the doctor, because I was so emotional um, and I just was like, I don't know if my husband's going to go for it. Cause I was in that appointment alone. He said, well, let me refer you guys to a urologist who specializes in male infertility. So we go to him and that put that he says is this, there's a surgery he does that he believes could solve the problem. Okay. And it was like opening up a seminal, a seminal vesicle, I think is what it was called. So Eric was like, sure, I'll do that. You know, it's an outpatient procedure. He's like, no problem. We were super hopeful, you know, like, oh, this could work. And, you know, he has that surgery and the next two weeks were just hell. I mean, he was feeling terrible. They were doctors kept telling us, we'll do this, do that. Nothing was working. And we end up two weeks later in the emergency room and he's septic. He's in complete septic shock. No. Yes. Which is, for those that don't know, very fatal. One of the most fatal things that can happen to you. It's a complete system-wide infection. So it turns out that most likely what happened is in that outpatient procedure, somehow there was a perforation in his bowel somewhere. Oh, no. Yeah. So over those two weeks it had been, you know, leaking in his system. And his, by this point, he was in so much pain and it was like, well, here's why he's completely septic. And so of course it was just complete shock in the emergency room. He, you know, 
ends up going into an emergency surgery. They tell me he's going to have a colostomy bag. And I don't know if that's going to be temporary or for the rest of his life. I mean, it was just like your world changing completely in like, how the fuck did we just get here in the space of like less than a year kind of thing? Yep. Yeah. It was like, we're just, we're just trying to have a baby. And now I don't know if my husband's going to live. And of course, on top of that layers of like feeling like it was my fault. Cause I was the person who like really wanted to have a baby. (laughs) He was a little, he, he, you know, was fine with trying. He knew that's what I wanted when he married me and he was supportive of it. But for me, I was the one who was like, this was my big dream. Mm-hmm. So then I'm feeling guilty after everything he's already been through. Now I'm like, oh my God, like this is my fault. And then, but most of all, just being terrified that I was going to lose him. Mm-hmm. So he goes through this long surgery and he makes it through, but he, he was unconscious on a ventilator for three, about three or four days and it was touch and go. Um, and then he ended up being in the ICU for like 12 days. The total hospital stay was around 24 days. Yeah. And then he went into me taking care of him at home. And it was a year, it was a whole year before he had a colostomy reversal and which was successful, thank God. But so that's, that's like the most dramatic part of our infertility story because it was this enormous medical trauma in the middle of the, the heartbreak of infertility so the the rest, uh, what happened is like maybe a year and a half, maybe even almost two years later, we ended up back in another fertility clinic when we moved back to Los Angeles and we ended up doing IVF. So we did two rounds of IVF with one doctor, one with another doctor. And at the end of the day, there only, only ended up being between those three rounds, one embryo that we could transfer. Okay. And I, you know, it didn't work obviously. So that's in short <laughs> what happened within those six crazy years. Um, that's the short version. <laughs> and that's a lot to go through. And a lot of, I feel like within that, a lot of reframing, like, what is this path going to look like now? Let's just reset. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I guess, courage for him as well I guess to after everything he's gone like two massive I don't know what you call it whammies to then Mm -hmm. say okay nope I'm going to trust that this will work and we're going you know we're going to give this a shot through IVF and just going through that process I can only imagine the fears that you would have Mm -hmm. and then also the fears that you would have around saying do you know what actually this is not what I signed up for mm-hmm. and now I have to, I'm going to completely shift my life in another direction and it's really hard because and it's only just recently that I had this aha moment through Katie who is another account and she was like, actually it's not a choice. People don't choose in these circumstances to live a child-free life. It, mm-hmm. They've tried like and you try. <laughs> you don't choose infertility. Right. And it's not that you've just chosen a child-free life. So it's you can start to embrace that, which is what you say, and you can say, mm-hmm. do you know what, I'm going to embrace this and child-free life is going, it's incredible for me, but 
there are so many reasons why, and it's going to be different for each person, I assume, why a mm-hmm. child-free life is going to be the best step forward. Are you able to explain to us a little bit about what that decision looked like for you and what that moment looked like for you in saying, actually, continuing to pursue this is not in our best interest? Yeah. There, over the years, you know, like you said, with a, there was probably a lot of reframing throughout the years. Mm. That's so true because there's so much that happens in the in at least for me, so many things that happened over the years before I ever got to a point where I could even allow myself to consider mm-hmm. stopping the pursuit of parenthood. Mm-hmm. So after you know, every time there were these really difficult things going on, there were moments where there were breaks. Mm -hmm. and where there was freaking out and there were tears and there were searching for resources or there was going to therapy or there was, you know, talking about, well, maybe after, like, after you got out of the hospital, well, I guess we're never going to have kids. How could we possibly have kids after this? Mm -hmm. Or other moments after some space with that, where we talked about adoption or talked about third-party reproduction, like there were so many steps along the way where I had different moments of having different feelings, considering different options. And by the time I had gotten to, after that third um, round of IVF, I was at a place where I just completely felt like I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I was at a place where I didn't want to think about any other options. I didn't want to think about trying something. I just didn't want to be in a place where I was living my life on this, in this holding pattern is what it felt like mm-hmm. in this roller coaster of emotions. These it's, it's really the best way I heard someone describe it one time was that you're going through rapid fire grief cycles over mm-hmm. and over and over again mm-hmm. from, you know, you have all this hope that before a procedure or trying something and you need that hope to be able to get through the thing. But then after the thing doesn't work, then you start going through like all the grief stages mm-hmm. in this like really fast, crazy way before you go on to the next thing. And after so many years of that, I was, I was sick of it. I was worn out, like mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And I, I, did, I just didn't want to live like that anymore. That's the best way that I can describe it. It was like, mm-hmm. I felt like I was fighting against almost a path that my life was trying to get me to embrace. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. But let me tell you, there were there were times before that where Eric had said, well, maybe, maybe, you know, we should just embrace not having kids. And I looked at him like he was crazy. <laughs> I was like, and I've said this before, like, I, I seriously looked at him and was like, it's just going to be you and I for the rest of our lives. Like, uh, like what, like staring at the wall, <laughs> you know, I just, I could not embrace that possibility. It was crazy to me. Yeah. And that's, oh, there's just so much that you've said in that. It, and there is often like two people on this journey who are ready to embrace and feel things differently. And I know that my husband was definitely on that same, I guess, mindset as Eric in that sooner than me, he was saying to me, are you ready to live like 
let's why are we continuing to put ourselves through this and I was like hell no hell or high water I can't imagine you know (laughs) my life would be over and you know we have this we can continue on at this low level of anxiety and then I had the miscarriage and I was like what the fuck am I doing with my life and then Mm -hmm. actually started to think that life could be amazing in another way but there is this partnership that we have to wrangle with and that requires a lot of communication (laughs) and a lot of two people coming together as a partnership and working through stuff but what I want to ask is when you came to that moment of saying do you know what this is actually not what I want anymore did you feel like a hundred percent certain that this was the path so I actually felt pretty certain <laughs> at that moment. I was I was pretty sure that I was not going to change my mind. There were other times, you know, where we took breaks and, you know, I never felt sure about anything. You know, I would think, oh, maybe, maybe we're done trying. Maybe we should look at other options. And I'd give it some time and I'd change my mind or, you mm-hmm. know, this time I felt very certain and Eric had Eric said well you know let's just give give it give it a month or two give it some time just you know see because he even though he was fine being done he wanted to make sure that I was okay with it you know he's like maybe you maybe you feel like you need to do one more round or maybe and I but I felt pretty certain and I and I never did change my mind Mm -hmm. One yeah. thing that I tell people is it's okay to think about this option and entertain it and sit with it for a while because you can change your mind. You know, you don't have to be afraid of saying, I think that I might want to stop and I think I'm done and say that out loud and sit with it. It's okay. Like it's not contagious. Like it's not like if you think it or you listen to me talk today, you're you're gonna be you're gonna get like you're gonna catch childlessness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you can. I know it's like scary sometimes to listen to people who have my story, but you know, you can, it's okay to feel that way and sit with it and you can change your mind. Yeah. And I, that is one of the most, you know, I guess powerful things to know about this is that sometimes the only deadlines or the only commitments are the ones that we give to ourselves Mm -hmm. that if you decide to take a break, try it on, see how you feel, start to follow accounts mm-hmm. that with stories that look different to yours, that have different outcomes, it, it doesn't mean that it has to be permanent or that you have to follow that direction. Right. Yeah. And I feel like I, I did that for a time with adoption and third-party reproduction where I really looked into what other people's experience was like and listened mm-hmm. to you know, people's experiences tried to sort of think about doing it. And, and, you know, it didn't, that didn't really stick for me. Um, But, you know, stopping altogether did eventually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you know, it's okay to sort of sit with something and say it, it's okay to say it out loud and then change your mind later. It's okay. Yeah. And the phrase, and I feel like this is my catchphrase for 2021 is that sometimes courage beats persistence. Mm -hmm. Did it take a lot of courage to say, I'm done and this is my life now and now I'm going to pursue next steps? It didn't feel courageous at that time. It just felt like this is 
what I want mm-hmm. and need to do. But I think, you know, in some way it must have been courageous because it is countercultural in a lot of ways to make a decision like that. You know, people expect you to just keep going. And if you, if you just end up childless, you know, then that's okay. But they, people don't want you to make a conscious decision to stop mm-hmm. pursuing parenthood and then sort of declare it. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't want you to like call the time of death on it. You know what I mean? They, you know, but it's okay if you just sort of end up there eventually because <laughs> you timed out or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I suppose it did take some courage. I, when I look at other people, I think it's courageous, but I can't say that I necessarily felt courageous. <laughs> I feel like sometimes as well, there's this inner knowing mm-hmm. that maybe our path should look a little bit different. And sometimes, you know, we can dip in and out of that. And then there comes a point when we're like, you know what, actually, it almost feels like kind of like what you were saying, the universe is telling you like this is the path. It might look different to the outside, but you can't avoid that path. You have to at some point say, okay, this is the calling. This is the next step for me. This is the direction that I'm heading and this is what my life is going to look like in this next chapter. After you were like, you know what, actually I'm done. There's no more. This is my life. What did rediscovering yourself and rediscovering a child discovering a child-free life look like to you? Well, that is this. This is what I'll, how I'll frame it first is that it wasn't um, a clean sort of linear path. It was mm-hmm. messy. It's been a, a messy journey in a lot of ways. It started out with me feeling a, a really big sense of relief that I did yeah. not have to think about my menstrual cycle. I didn't have Mm -hmm. to think about taking my temperature, going to a doctor. Obviously, I didn't have to think about any of that crap anymore. So that felt like a relief was like, okay, I can really start living again and like really thinking about what do I want to do? So there was a lot of relief, some excitement, but there was also a lot of grief, pain. There was a lot of fear and when you talk about learning about yourself, what that really did lead to was me learning and quite a, seeing some things more clearly about myself, which is, Uh I think, what pain and grief and these types of life experiences do is they do start to shed light on who you are with a little more clarity. And I did learn, here's an example. So the first year that after stopping, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to sort of come up with my, what people like to say, their plan B life, uh-huh. which I, I don't ever use that phrase because I don't really like it, but that kind of idea of the replacement, you know, I was going to be a mother and I thought the rest of my life was going to look like this. And now, you know, I have to come up with some glamorous, amazing thing to replace it with, you know, and, and a lot of this was like inner turmoil that was going on. I wasn't necessarily talking about a lot of that. I did a little bit on our podcast, but it was a lot of pressure. And I learned through that experience. Well, first of all, I was creating more suffering for myself by doing Mm -hmm. that, but I learned a lot more about my perfectionism, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is not a a good quality. doesn't help you out much in life. (laughs) 
I, so I learned a lot more about my perfectionism and about how I don't have a lot of self-compassion. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very hard on myself. And, and I really have this like bitchy judgmental voice in my head. That's extremely critical. So, you know, it was like, I had this idea that I needed to have this glamorous life with this like awesome JLo body <laughs> and, and like something that would you look at and you go like, oh, I'm so jealous of that, that yeah. woman's life, you know, that type of thing. Now I'm going to write a book or star in a documentary or, or <laughs> but, you know, you have to be like Oprah or something yeah. to like justify being child free mm. or mm. make yourself valuable. And so I realized through all of that, that what I was doing is like, whatever fantasies I had about motherhood, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us have before you become a mother, you have this idea of like what it's going to be like. And a lot of times you think it's going to like complete you, or you think it's going to, and some of this is subconscious. You think like all your struggles with weight are going to go away because you're going to be so inspired to like be a good role model for your daughter. So you're never going to have any weight problems or body image problems again. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to feel happy all the time and yes, magically fulfilled. Yeah. Yes. You think about these things about decorating the nursery and the, mm. the um, you know, the baby shower and the, you think about like these kind of, you know, Pinterest type of, mm-hmm. you know, perfect moments or whatever, or all these positive things. And you think it's going to sort of give you this fulfillment, put you on this other level. Mm-hmm. And I think what I was doing afterwards is kind of doing the same thing with my life, with yes. my child-free life. Yes. And it was like, you have to, and whatever I thought of as success before, I was just using those same, mm-hmm. you know, shallow success um, measures like weight and travel, whatever, you know. And so I realized and I started going back to therapy to help with some of this at the time. And I realized that it was like, you just need to take a deep breath mm-hmm. and look at things a little more clearly. Like, look at the fact that you just finished going through hell for six years. You went through this marathon, this war, and you just need to, t- you just need to breathe and be and heal and rest <laughs> and show yourself compassion. And, you know, there was just a lot of that that was going on for me. So that kind of is a good, like, I wasn't giving myself credit for the fact that I was talking about my experience on a podcast or Mm -hmm. that I made the decision to begin with, or that I survived and was still, you know, in a happy marriage or, you know, there's like things that I could have been being like, Melissa, good job. You yeah. really, like, you handled that. You're doing a great job. You're, but that's not how I was. I was looking mm-hmm. still at the, the negative and the judgmental side. of, And so that there's a lot, there was a lot of that kind of self-awareness and learning happening. Mm-hmm. So many of us as well, like we just move the goalposts. Like we can never stop to say, pause for applause that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this has happened. Have you had any other major insights into your life or your personality since embracing a child-free life? One of the things I learned was that I think this is a maybe a I think I read this on a personality type thing and it really resonated was that my personality type was that hanging on to my sense of 
togetherness, like having it all mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and um, feeling kind of in control and all together was sometimes keeping me from feeling what I was really going through. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's explaining it that well, but sometimes I think that helped me when I needed to survive, like when Eric was in the hospital or things like that, where it helped me to be able to function and do what needed to be done in that moment that was very important. But then when the time comes for really being able to allow myself to quote unquote fall apart, mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily doing that. It was still this sense of like, I need to move forward and mm-hmm. keep myself together and wasn't necessarily really allowing all of it to come out. And yeah, I think it was one of my therapists who sort of challenged me to like, think about well, what would that look like to fall apart? Yeah. And I learned that I could completely let it out and falling up, falling apart. That's, that's not going to happen. It's like you actually, when you allow yourself to feel what's going on, it actually puts you more in a place of peace because you're not fighting the feeling anymore. Yeah. Sometimes you need to break some eggs to make an omelet. Yeah. And I had, I remember having like, this fantasy, so to speak, of during some of that, of wanting to be in a room that was soundproof and just screaming. Yes. Yeah. And a therapist said like, well, why don't you find a way to do that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, how am I going to do that without like somebody, the neighbors calling the police? (laughs) (laughs) Something horrible is happening. Yeah. He was like, what about in the car? And so I, I did it. Like I did it a couple of times where I was like, where no one could see me. And I was like on a freeway and I just screamed and it felt really good to like release. Cause what you don't where I guess it depends on your personality, but a lot of times, like I'm not, I don't allow myself to feel my anger mm-hmm. or, you know, to feel everything, but especially I think anger or whatever. And the screaming, I think was like kind of letting some of that out. Mm-hmm. And it felt good. <laughs> I'm so similar. I'm not, I have this real habit of just numbing out and it's been a real process. You know, we're all taught to believe that big girls don't cry and we just have to get back on the wagon and to be strong. And actually that's not the healthiest mechanism. <laughs> that's yeah. not what feeling actually feeling better looks like. Feeling better feels like feeling whatever it is first. And anger is not a dirty emotion. Right. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean that you have to like stay there, you mm-hmm. know, like I, you know, you can feel whatever comes up for you and then, and not have to like stay in it forever and become a victim to that emotion, so to speak, you know, it's like, but, but you do, you are going to feel better if you let yourself feel the feeling. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And I don't, some people I think are able to identify their feelings really easily. That's not for me. Sometimes I really need to like write or think about something for a while or like I just need time. I, I don't I can't always recognize it right away. And what does life today look like for you? So in some ways on paper, it's not mm-hmm. that different. <laughs> like from four years ago, I still live in Los Angeles with my husband and my dog, and I haven't had a major career change. Um, so in those ways, nothing 
dramatic happened. But what's been the big change has been the inner work, how I feel and how Eric feels and how, you know, we are together related to our life. Like I'm just much more at peace. I, as far as my identity goes, I don't, I, I don't identify like in my mind as, as an infertile person. I don't think of myself I really think of myself as a child-free person. Not that I always use that term when I'm talking to people. Most of the time, I probably just say, well, I don't have kids. Um, but I think of myself that way and I'm okay with it versus before thinking of myself as a future mother. Mm-hmm. In my identity, that was like a huge shift. And in some ways, you're grieve- I was grieving that part of me that, that identified as mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't feel that way anymore. I feel the things that, that I struggle with or find joy with, like it's not really attached to infertility and not having kids most of the time. (laughs) So I guess that's the biggest way to explain how life has changed is that I'm just not in that same struggle. I'm, I have like a much more content inner life and the things that I still work on that I would say are life's work are the same issues I was working on before I ever went through infertility (laughs) I feel like sometimes it's hard for me to talk about it because I did go on and have two children so sometimes who am I to talk about that although I do feel like in the months following my miscarriage before I felt pregnant I did have a real shift in peace and feeling like whatever that outcome I would feel okay, but it's so interesting that like in our early 20s, we're not placing so much of our identity on whether we're a mother or not or what our parenthood status is. We're not so hyper-focused on it. And then we enter this space in our 30s or late 20s or early 40s when it's almost like our whole, we feel like our whole identity rests on this. And there's so many things that define Define us in our mm-hmm. lives and there's so many things about us and who we are and that we can identify with but when we're in this struggle of infertility it almost feels like it's the one and only thing like it's this singular personality or element mm-hmm. of our being I mean we're on the podcast today and this is what we're talking about but it's just one tiny element of our lives Yes, but I would say this. I think culturally, Mm. many of us since the time we were extremely young girls, maybe toddlers, there there are cultural messages for most of us that are embedded through in so many ways telling us that our value does lie in becoming a mother and our value does lie in even becoming someone's wife. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. As what these different and and how young you look for how long and what your body looks like. There's these main messages about a woman's worth that are really baked in. Mm-hmm. And so I would say you don't maybe even realize how strong those messages are until you come up against mm-hmm. infertility. Yeah. And the threat of it maybe not happening, and you suddenly feel like your identity is being threatened. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. part of that is like, sure, part of it is who I am as a person and maybe even biologically a desire to, to have a child. But it was also 
these, this culture that I was raised in. And so I it felt very threatening. And, mm. and I think that fear does create a huge chunk of the suffering when you're going through infertility. If you can hear people talk about how we're okay after your worst fear happening, you can be okay and you can have a good life. If that can take the edge off of some of your suffering, whether or not you go on and have children or not, like at least you'll feel less, you know, turmoil. Yeah. Like the earth won't open up a hole. Yeah. Do you still struggle when people, I, I will always remember at work once a lady, the first time I met her, sat down in the lunchroom with me and said, do you have kids? And I'm sure I've been asked it many times before, but in that moment, it stung. When people when people lead with that, where how do you feel emotionally now being on the other side of that? So I know this question will vary depending on who you talk to. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people who it really bothers them. When people lead with that question for me, I don't have like an, it doesn't hit me emotionally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've developed kind of like a rebellious attitude about it. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like in my mind, sometimes I'm like, okay, okay. I'm going to say, you know, oh, we don't have kids. And then part of me is like, how are they going to respond? Which one are they going to pick out of the hat? <laughs> And I'm kind of looking at it from a different perspective now Yeah, where it's like, I'm almost like, bring it on. Which one are you going to choose? Because I can handle it. And, and I don't, I'm used to talking about it. You know, I have been open about it. I have practiced talking about it. So now I, it doesn't matter what they throw at me. I'm going to be able to respond. Now, some of those things they say, they might sting. I'm not saying Mm. that like, I wouldn't have an emotional response to anything, but it just asking me if I have kids doesn't hurt, but it, it, but it can for a lot of people. And it is unfortunate that a lot of times that's like the only thing people seem to be interested in asking someone. We need to, Um, people need to stop asking it. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) But I do understand as well that for a lot of people, that's like the, the way that they're used to connecting with people, Mm. like with small talk, like that's the thing in common that they start with and they're looking for that. And I get that, you know? So it's like, it's, it's interesting, but I'm also, because I am open about talking about that part of me mm-hmm. now, and I'm used to talking about it. It, I don't mind so much. For anyone who is currently trying to conceive, but possibly being on the fertility roller coaster for a long time, they might be feeling burnt out emotionally, financially. What message or messages would you have for them? if they're in that space, but feeling completely terrified of what life on the other side might look like? Well, you know, I, I, I would say everything that, everything you've already been through kind of shows you that you will be okay if you don't have children. And because you've, going through infertility is so difficult. It really is so life-changing and so difficult that if you have been able to go through that and survive, you're already a lot stronger than you realize. You're already a lot more resilient than you know. And so you will be okay. And, you know, also, like I said earlier, it's okay to take a break and sort of take stock of how are you doing 
mental health wise? How are you doing physically? How are you doing financially? And to kind of take a break and really think about how much more do you want to give to it and take some time to sit with different options and see how they feel, try them on for a little while. And it, you know, it's, and it's okay. It's, it's okay. If you want to stop, maybe nobody else in your life is saying that, but it is okay. It is your life. And you, you know, whatever you decide to do, you, you're going to be okay. I love that message. There are so many accounts that also are amplifying uh, voices of couples, families, single women and men who ha- are now living a childless or child-free life that can help provide support, that can help share, I guess, what life on the other side is like. Now, before we go to our speed round, are you able to tell us a little bit more about where people can find you uh, if they would like to learn a little bit more about yourself or learn a little bit more about a child-free life? Sure. So one of the things that I think people find most helpful is to go to the podcast that my husband and I have, which is called Live Child-Free with Eric and Melissa. And if you go back to the beginning of it and listen in chronological order, we started it the same year that we chose to stop pursuing parenthood. So we started it when we were feeling really lost. We were probably only five months in or something like that. And it's just us talking through how we were feeling in the process, different topics. And that may give you a sense of what it's like, you know, to go through the process and also to hear a a man's perspective. So I think that can be supportive or make you feel less alone, less scared. Also, if you want to connect with us, we're on Instagram and our handle is at livechildfree. You can feel free to DM us messages or questions. And we have all of this information you can find on our website, which is also a blog called livechildfree.com. So you're more than welcome to reach out to us in any way. And we can even connect you with other resources if you are interested in more. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. Are you ready for our little speed round? Sure. (laughs) So do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? So regarding these topics that we're talking about, the book that I recommend most is called The Next Happy by Tracy Cleantis. And it's, it's really about at the time that a dream, when you're feeling like it might be time to let a certain dream go, how do you move forward? And she is somebody who went through infertility and does not have kids. And and also on our Instagram, if you want more books, we have a highlight reel called nonfiction. Click on that. There's lots of books by other people who are child-free after infertility. Awesome. Do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? So because of my perfectionism I talked about earlier, (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of them, but on my mirror, on my mirror that you, where my makeup is um, in my bathroom, I have two things written on there. Mm -hmm. The first one says carpe the fucking DM. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's, you know, seize the day carpe diem. There was this guy who was diagnosed with a disease and he had five years left to live. And he was talking at this thing I was at. And that became like his thing was carpe the fucking DM. Like every day that you wake up is amazing. So seize the day. And like, that helps me keep things in perspective. The other one is 
I put focus on your day-to-day efforts, be joyful about the small changes you're making, and build up faith in yourself with each successful day. Because that helps calm down my, you need to get here by this time. Mm -hmm. It's just like every little step you make every day, be joyful in that and let that like build up faith in yourself. Yes. I love that. Those are the ones I have on my mirror. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure that so many of our listeners can relate to that because so many of the people who listen to the Fertility Warriors complete type A perfectionists, probably like me. And if you had my last question, one message that you could just scream from the rooftops to everyone in the world, what would it be? There's so many, but I think the broadest one would be stop being so judgmental about other people's life choices. You know, stop being so judgmental. Life is not black and white. It is nuanced, you know, Mm -hmm. Even with this child-free thing, people will look at you and they'll make assumptions about you because you don't have children, mm-hmm. whether there's assumptions about being child-free by choice or a child is not by choice or whatever, you know, but it, in so many other ways, we're too judgmental. Yeah. And too assuming of what other people's lives are. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing your story with us, sharing what life that a childless, not by choice or child-free life looks like. We so appreciate you and we appreciate everything that you do for the infertility community and the child-free community. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I am honored to be here today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Fertility Warriors. You know that I love chatting with you every single week. If you like this podcast, please make sure you go ahead and subscribe and share it with anyone, be it on your Instagram or your other socials to let them know that this has been helpful for you too and that it might be helpful for them. Please make sure also that you give us a five-star rating and I would love, love, love a review. They always make my day and they help other people find the podcast. So it kind of helps the search engine juices or the internet juices push this podcast out to other people when there are a number of ratings and reviews. And if you feel like infertility is starting to get the best of you and your emotions are starting to get a bit wonky, then make sure you check out my new mini program, Warrior Rising. Head to robinburkin.com slash rise and check it out. It's a five-day mini mindset transformation and it will definitely help pick up your mood, help you feel calmer and help you feel more in control of your journey. Head to robinburkin.com slash rise to find out more about my new program, Warrior Rising. Warrior Rising.